Hello, and welcome to the Lebanese Politics Podcast. My name is Benjamin Red. I'm joined by Nizar Hassan. Hi, Nizar. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very good. We've got a ton to talk about this week. I know, right? Yeah, yeah. So, like, we're just going to jump right in there with the news of the week, and uh, uh, you're going to present a whole bunch of stuff on Eden Bay and the, clo- and the coastal property stuff. But before we get to that... Very quickly, exciting news. There's been a crazy massive data heist that was just uh, broken by al newspaper uh, on Friday. And supposedly uh, these hackers took data from banks, from uh, government institutions, as well as security institutions themselves. Like we don't know which ones, but like some of them apparently have been compromised by this data hack. And and so this was uh, broken on Friday. We're recording on Saturday, by the way. So this was just yesterday. Supposedly, it was one of the biggest breaches in Lebanese history. We don't know a whole lot about it, but we do know Al-Khbar followed up this morning was saying that it was connected to a one of the major bankers in the country. Well, wow. We don't know who. They wouldn't say who. Uh, but this is one of those things um, as, as well. Like, uh, we, we just don't know that much information, but it's so big. And like, we're, we're getting these hints that we are going to be seeing more about this. So by the time that you're listening to this on Monday, you may know a lot more about what's going on uh, than we do right now. Uh, certainly next week, uh, we are going to be learning. There, there are going to be more shoes that drop in this scandal, right? But was no one arrested for this? We believe two are in custody right now. Okay. Um, and, and one of them supposedly has this connection to the the banker, some CEO or chairman of a major bank, supposedly, according to Al-Khbar's reporting. Um, Have they, like, confessed to anything? uh, I believe one of them has confessed and one of them has not. Um, So, I mean, but the problem with this is, is that we don't, the security agencies themselves really aren't saying anything. Uh, And to me, this this tells me that, okay, there, there is something bigger here because they, they seem to be holding all their cards very close to their chest right now. Uh, and don't really seem to be comfortable uh, confirming really anything uh, beyond just the the very basics that yes something like this did happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, even Akbar noted in their in their report, I, I think sort of the same thing. Like people just aren't talking about this. I know from working at the Daily Star uh, as well, the security agencies just aren't uh, don't seem to be comfortable uh, discussing this as of yet. Uh, so anyway, we're going to be looking at this for next week. Uh, we'll see what happens. Um, also this week, uh, we, uh, you know, it's the, it's summertime in Lebanon, and that means electricity cuts uh, even more than normal. Usually it's cut for three hours a day, although in the summer that goes up usually to as much as six hours a day sometimes. So the government's been trying to sort of plug this hole, like fill in this gap. And they've tried three times in the past to like do this tender for like emergency electricity all three times they failed, though, because government bodies, other government bodies said, no, this tender is geared towards giving the the bid to one company or to giving the contract to one specific company, Karadeniz Holding, okay. uh, which operates the, the, the power barge. Right? Yeah, the Turkish uh, company that operates the, the power barges, uh, the two power barges that are uh, currently feeding into uh, Lebanon's electricity grid. So this fourth one this week, we had uh, documents leaked. The, the, the leakers say these are the tender requirements. Um, we don't know that. We haven't verified that. But if they are, people are saying, well, okay, a few things have changed, but bottom line, it still does seem to be geared towards Karadnis. Mm. So we'll see if this fourth time they actually make it through and are able to uh, issue the tender. 
in, you know, invite the bids and, and go through the process. Or if it gets stopped again, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, th this week, we also saw just a quick note, uh, Syrians, more Syrians returning on Sunday. We had like 41 or 42, not a whole lot return. Uh, sorry, th this is a Sunday a week ago. Uh, and then uh, Saturday morning, uh, today that we're recording, supposedly about 400 went back. So this is one of those things that it seems that we're going to keep seeing. Also this week, uh, we had some stuff go on with the cabinet formation. Your favorite and topic. My favorite. I know. <laughs> I, and I know uh, I have beaten this horse to death. Uh, and, and our producer, Susan has like threatened me with bodily harm if I continue to talk about it, but, <laughs> but we did have like a, a couple of things happen this week that we, we do have to talk about. Um, so first off, like, okay, so the L LF and FBM are at war. We, we know that ancient history, uh, but Jaja and I met on Monday, hmm. right? Which is a good way to start out the week. Sounds promising. Right? Yeah. And, and so they like, they said, oh, we're going to have this roadmap and, and everything to make the cabinet formation work. Uh, the next day, uh, Gibran Basil met with Melham Riyashi. So again, promising sign. And then just like everything, the bottom just seemed to fall out uh, uh, of it. And now we're speaking at the end of the week. And it, there are this word that like Basil is wanting 11 ministers now, uh, which would give him uh, what's called a blocking third in wow. cabinet. 11 ministers for one party. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which, uh, it, I mean, it, it's... It's really over the top, uh, yeah. you know, clear, clearly this is sort of like a negotiating uh, type thing. Uh, but this is where it's at. And we also seem to see like this this interesting thing where Aoun apparently was trying to get Jaja to meet with Basile and to get Hariri to meet with Basile and to get Jumblat to meet with Basile. And so we see this like sort of forced elevation of Basile into like the... Zaim Like, steps, yeah, like yeah. the... Yeah, they're like the first class politician status, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, typically it's, you know, Aoun and Jaja and Jublat and Hariri. They're all considered sort of like at that top level. And now it seems as though Aoun is trying to say, no, I'm the president of the republic. I'm above all of that. And now Gibran Basile, as the president of the or as the leader of the free patriotic movement, is on your level. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that that really works. Yeah, <laughs> but, me neither. Uh, Not yet, at least. Yeah, right, right, right. I, I mean, yeah, Gibran Basile has now been in government uh, this coming Wednesday. He will have been in government for 10 years, by the way. Uh, and so I I think that there is a, a really big debate to be had as to whether the hurdles are internal or external, really. There's a lot of smart people saying that, like, oh, it's it's external things that are, are causing the delay in cabinet formation. Uh, but I think... external, you mean, like, out of Lebanon? Yeah, like, oh, maybe Saudi doesn't want, yeah. uh, wants to wait a couple months or something. Okay. I think that is a, an important debate and one that we should have, uh, but I don't think that we have time for it today. Uh, so maybe soon, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll uh, negotiate with our producer and get that in next week. I don't know. We'll see. Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And the, 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 the last like sort of big story I think that we need to cover this week is the trash crisis, right? The ongoing saga of trash in the country. Um, so we, we saw that play out in like the three biggest cities in the country this this week. Uh, in Sidon, uh, in the south, a week ago Friday, they had this protest uh, outside one of the waste sorting centers or whatever. And uh, it was a protest by uh, uh, the followers of um, Osama Saad, the new MP, 
uh, also the, the leader of the popular Nasserite organization. And so at, at this protest, things sort of turned ugly. Uh, there were clashes uh, between the protesters and the plant employees. The protesters were there because like they, they were saying, oh, the, the, there's a bad smell, the, the, there's an environmental impact, all this stuff. The, long story short, the company that operates the plant was like, screw this, we're going to close the plant. And that caused trash to pile up on the streets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so like when trash starts piling up on the streets, then things start getting done. In, in this case, though, what got done was the plant was just like reopened on Monday uh, and collection restarted. Uh, and so we're basically back at square one. Nothing has really been resolved here. Uh, also in Tripoli, we, we have this gigantic trash mountain that's about to collapse. It seems it's it's uh, it's supposed to be 25 meters high. It is now about 48 to 49 meters high. So about twice what it should be that has this retaining wall built around it that is literally bursting at the seams. They are reinforcing this uh, wall. The, the, the contractor, Batco, is reinforcing the wall with berms of dirt and scaffolding and all sorts of stuff. Maybe it's uh, for like a Guinness Records competition, no? Maybe so. 40 meters uh, is impressive. It, it, <laughs> it, it is uh, the largest trash mountain I heard in the Mediterranean area. Uh, yeah, yeah. So like if... if if the trash mountain collapses, then that would be very problematic because it's right next to this river and it's also right next to the sea. Uh, so it, it could really have a really bad environmental impact yeah. if, if this wall burst. So back uh, last month on June 21st, the like the mayor and uh, all of the MPs uh, from Tripoli all got together uh, and talked about like the solutions. OK, we got to do something about this. And um, basically, with the plan that was sort of put forward and sort of agreed on was that, okay, well, we need something, an, an immediate uh, solution, and we need like a long-term solution, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And the immediate solution is basically, oh, we're going to build a dump in the sea. Uh, so right next to the plot of land with the Trash Mountain, we're going to like build this like temporary reclaimed landfill uh, that just juts out into the sea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that'll be good for like three years. And during that three years, it'll give us enough time to build a, uh, sanitary landfill, uh, somewhere else uh, with an incinerator and all sorts of stuff, uh, for like a long-term solution. Problem with that is that supposedly people, uh, receive sort of assurances that, oh, this, this is going to be in Der Amar which is uh, just a little bit north of Tripoli. It's outside the city, uh, but, but just, you know, like 10 minutes maybe. And the problem is that Der Amar is just totally against this idea, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I met with the mayor a few days back and he said, no, just absolutely, we will, the, the residents of Der Amar will not accept this mm-hmm. at all. Uh, and he also said, I, I received assurances from Saad Hariri like a year ago that this would not happen, mm. you know? Uh, and so I, I don't quite understand why the, 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 uh, some of the politicians at Tripoli seem to think that this is going to happen. Uh, but when you put all of this stuff together, it seems as though, oh, well, the, this, this uh, dump, this temporary dump, so-called temporary dump that they're building out into the sea, that's not going to be temporary. Uh, it, if, if they're relying on something like Der Amar, which is... Uh, the, the local residents are just so opposed to. So uh, once mm-hmm. again, we have this issue of, well, the temporary solution may not be so temporary. It, and, and so we, what we have 
problems in Sidon, we have problems in Tripoli, and even in Beirut, you know, we have the ongoing saga of the Bush Hamoud landfill, yes. uh, the ongoing saga of the Costa Brava landfill, uh, which is right, like, next to the airport, right? Um, mm-hmm. And the weird thing about all of these landfills, if you notice in all these uh, sort of trash problems, is that they're all on the coast. So Why did they build them on the coast, though? Where else? So that, I mean, it, it, if, if you... Uh, because if you a lot of people space, are like. Yeah. Well, you need space, but also just like you got a bunch of NIMBY people, right? Not in my backyard. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, like, who wants to live next to a, a, a dump? Yeah. That is, it, it's not going to be temporary. Yeah. Like the people of Nami found that out, right? Mm-hmm. And so who's who's going to agree to that? And so where's the easiest place to build? Oh, nobody owns the sea. Well, mm-hmm. let's, let's throw our trash in the Mediterranean. <laughs> I mean, not, not literally, but yeah, literally, right? Yeah. I think th- this is sort of like a common theme uniting all of these uh, all of these trash crises, and uh, I think you know that leads to issues with pollution and all sorts of other things that maybe we should dive into in a in a future uh, in a future episode. Yes, definitely. And speaking of public coasts and public properties, um, we've had the issue of the Eden Bay Hotel last week. I'm sure you've heard about it. Yeah, right. It was very um, interesting. There was this launching of the Eden Bay Lancaster Hotel on Ramlittle Baida, which is the only uh, public beach in Beirut. It's a sand beach. And the opening was um, protested by a group of activists and protected by security forces. It was a nice scene. And uh, the main issue with this um, hotel is that it's been protested for more than two years now since the constructions have since the constructions begun. Yeah, I mean, this is sort of like a cause celeb, right? The, yeah. Like, it's, it's very iconic. The, this is the only public beach. It's the only sandy beach in Beirut. Uh, and they're, they're building this gigantic uh, hotel and resort on it. Definitely. And apart from all the issues with the hotel itself that we will explain in a bit, the opening was allegedly illegal. But, like, according to what activists said, the Ministry of Tourism gave the project the opening license, although it lacked the required documents. Um, so the opening itself should not have happened. And the, <laughs> another issue is with the municipality that we'll explain later that okay. is about the operation license. Um, but to give a brief uh, line of context, the project is owned by Ashur Holding, which is a construction and development company owned by Wissam Ashur, Parliament Speaker Nabih Biri's former son-in-law and uh, a multi-millionaire owning um, many hotels and firms, including the famous Lancaster series um, in Beirut. And um, what happened is uh, that this was the moment where all the protests against this project had culminated into a public uproar, to a certain extent, among the activists, environmental and public space activists. And uh, there was a campaign of online bad reviews against the hotel because it was opening... Um, so activists thought maybe bad reviews would be the best way of like ruining the, the uh, business dream right. before it even happens. Yeah. So there were plenty of bad reviews. Like I was counting more than 130 on Google Maps and um, I don't know how many, but numerous on Facebook. And the reviews were so overwhelming that they were really embarrassing. Like one 1.5 rating um, on Google Maps, I think, or 1.8. Uh, despite many people, allegedly staff, posting good reviews. So what happened is that uh, the company took down for the Facebook page, uh, it created one without the review section, and it somehow, 
uh, talked to Google about taking down all the bad reviews. So now you cannot see them anymore. It's four point something. It's only good reviews now on Google. But um, so this whole campaign kind of crashed uh, overnight. And uh, more interestingly, most activists that I've talked to um, who have reviewed this, um, the pages, uh, were woke up the next morning to a message from Facebook saying someone tried to uh, take over your account. So you need to go through this verification process. Well, I was uh, just going to ask, like, how how does Google or Facebook like take down a review? Like, or how do you get them to take down a review? I don't get that. On Facebook, you change the page or you eliminate it and create another one. So automatically mm. the reviews will go away. On Google Maps, I have no idea of the process. I tweeted Google Maps. They didn't answer. I tweeted them again. They're not very responsive, to say the least. They just ignored me. Um, but yeah, the reviews are... It's a big are, company. Are, they, got, they got a lot going on. I know. On. They're very busy. <laughs> So I, I think, though, that we need to give a little bit of background. Why why are these activists so angry about this? What is the history? What what happened to bring us to this point? Exactly. I think it's important to note that, like, Eden Rock used to be a resort, like, back pre-Civil War. Like, I've seen pictures of it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then at some point it was destroyed. And, like, people have been trying to rebuild it uh, since the most recent group, like, got some approval in 2005, like special approval to do uh, certain things. Um, but for whatever reason, they decided to abandon the project and they sold it in 2011, right? Yes, they sold it to Isam Ashur, who owns the, the current project. Right. And, and the plots of land used for the new project are different from the old ones. Uh, so one of them is uh, a common plot of land. And this is a center of controversy because there's an issue with the eligibility for development on this plot of land because they, the right. old... The, the permits were issued for the old plots of land, and they the were old kind of plans, extended. right. Exactly. Okay. So this is one of the main issues with it. And another issue is related to zonings and specifically how far the project is from the shoreline and from public property. Um, yeah, whether it's actually on public property, right? Exactly. So, it, so it, in order to um, really understand all of these issues, you really do have to have like a master's degree in, in like public in, in public planning. Um, so we're we're gonna put a few links in the show notes for those of you who want to like go deeper into this stuff. I will we'll try to stay out of the technicals as much as possible, but I I, I do want to note one thing. Like this goes all the way back. To 1925, right? In 1925, like under the French mandate, there's this order that was handed down that uh, that said that defined what like public property was, uh, public maritime property was, and it said like the highest level reached by the waves in the winter and any sandy or gravelly beaches automatically public property, yes, right? Exactly. Now the thing is. When uh, when people decided to actually draw the plots of land, though, uh, some plots were were drawn like on like this plot of land that Eden that the Eden Bay project is on is actually goes on to the sandy beach. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if you're the owner of that, like it's your private land, according to the law, but also not your it's public land according to like this other law so there's laws that are in contradiction with each other exactly so right? basically very simply it is supposed to be public however private people own it right right and and so and and in the specific case of eden bay like it's very clearly like a good portion of that project is actually on the sandy beach exactly. right and this was ma the main issue i think 
for why this whole activism around this project started happening because it was right on the beach and because Ram Al-Baida is the only public beach available for right. residents. Right, right. So uh, regardless of this, Ashur and his company decided to go ahead and start construction anyway. I, I guess they did have certain permits. Others argue they didn't have other permits. Uh, it's a little bit, it's another one of these conflicting gray areas, if you will. And so he started He started building the, the, the project on his land, uh, but there were legal challenges, right? And these legal challenges made their way all the way up to the Shura Council, right? Yes. And in 2017, when this issue came to the surface um, in terms of media coverage, was when the Shura Council made a series of decisions on the project. The first decision was that the construction should stop because of the violations made by the project. After this first decision, the company did not comply and it said that it had the permit, uh, the valid permit to construct the project. Right, which is which is insane, right? The the Shura Council, which is one of the top courts in the country, yeah. right? It is the it is literally under the French system, the top administrative court in the country, yes. right? Uh, they issued this decision and the company just ignored it. I remember after this decision came came out, seeing with my own eyes, no, they are still building. Yep. And they argued, well, no, we, we have the right to, even if this very important court said, no, you have to stop. Exactly. So this prompted the court to make another decision or to kind of reiterate its position and say, no, you have to stop construction. If you don't, then you will pay a huge lot of money for every day of additional Works. Like a hundred thousand dollars, right? Like that, yeah. Really big. Uh, so this is when the company actually stopped for a while, uh, until the Shura Council made the third decision by unanimous vote, uh, approving the construction of the project. So kind of giving it the green light to continue. Um, and this contradiction in the Shura Council was not even explained in terms of what are the legal um, reasons behind this new law on the same topic. Right. I mean, I've, I've heard some people argue that, like, this is just sort of how things work. Like, the Shura Council will uh, issue, like, uh, a preliminary injunction mm-hmm. and say, hey, no, like, okay, so there are these alleged things you need to stop while we look further into the matter. And then later on decide, like, okay, well, we've looked further into the matter and you're fine, you're good to go. So yeah, the, like, They gave no explanation, which right, is what so, activists were saying doesn't make any sense because why would you impose such high penalties and you stop construction if you don't have to explain anything later, right? Right. I mean, it. it uh, I, I would agree that it looks fishy, but my only point is that, like, there could be a reasonable explanation for this. We just don't know what it is because they didn't explain it, right? Yeah. So when this thing happened uh, uh, in 2017, uh, when it came to surface, Michel Aoun, the president, asked uh, Shibi Beirut's government to stop the construction of the project. And Shibi responded by sending him a copy of the letter of warning that he had sent to Ashur saying, you have to explain what you're doing on that and that uh, specific um, issues in relation to the permit and its uh, content. Um, but he actually did not comply with Michel Aoun's request. Uh, and he went on TV, including Aoun's own TV, OTV, and said things defending his position and defending the project. So this was a, a bit of a tension that happened in 2017. But in parallel, Laon had tasked the Minister of State for combating corruption to look into the issue. Um, and this led to uh, the leaking of a document from Beirut Municipality's um, engineering unit, which revealed that this unit had rejected Ashur's request to give it an operation permit, which is a requirement for any building to operate in Beirut, based on a number of violations, uh, including things on how the project was actually com- constructed compared to uh, the original plan 
and including the issue with the permit itself, which we spoke about. Um, and this rejection allegedly led Ziad Shbib to remove the head of this engineering unit, according to activists and Al-Akhbar, and put him in the public hygiene unit of the Beirut municipality after he had been for 20 years working in that one. So it was a very sensitive thing that created some tensions within the municipality mm. as well, because uh, in Lebanese law, uh, Beirut is the only area where the head of the municipality, the actual executive authority, is the governor right. and not the mayor. Right, right. But all of these issues and violations have been most explicitly um, explained and um, made clearest by a report, a uh, very recent report by Jar Tabit, the head of Beirut's Order of Engineers. And uh, Jar Tabit uh, explained that there are eight violations in relation to the things we have mentioned, infringement of public property, issues related to the plots of land, and uh, issues related to the permit, in addition to uh, how the project was actually constructed. The summary of this report is covered by Executive Magazine, and the article will be linked uh, in the description of this episode as well as another article by Legal Agenda explaining all the legal issues and related in relation to public beaches in Lebanon and uh, how they are public, but they are not at the same time, etc. Yeah, so, so like this, this is sort of like the larger point, right? Because this is not the only alleged infraction of public maritime property in the country, right? This is just like one case out of many. Oh, yes. There was uh, this whole documentary made by uh, Al Jazeera, as far as I remember, about this specifically and trying to understand who's behind which project. Because all of all over the Lebanese coast, there are these violations of uh, what is supposed, supposedly a public beach. Um, and very recently, the cabinet made the decision. It was its last session before the parliamentary elections. And it made the decision to approve two projects, one in Damur and one in Zoom Kail which are projects that will occupy part of the beach as well as part of the sea. So it's like a... Right, those got a lot of attention waterfront as well. Kind of yeah. projects. They got a lot of attention because the activists spoke about it, but also because Walid Jumblat spoke about it mm. in one of his um, tweets. He said that um, these are horrible decisions, etc. And another very controversial project is an Anfi. We don't know if they have approved it or not. But it's um, on a plot of land owned by the church, uh, one of the churches. And it's uh, also uh, in violation of certain heritage protection laws. Uh, so Jat Tabet has spoken about it. Allegedly, right. And yeah. Walid Jumblat has said that it has already been approved by the cabinet. We're not sure. Yeah, this is one of the things. Like, the cabinet makes these decisions, uh, but, but we don't really know... <laughs> It would, like this, this is not a public record type thing. Uh, I, I don't. I don't think this has been made public yet. So as you said, then the issue is that we have a lot of public beaches, or we're supposed to have a lot of public beaches, but very few of them are actually public beaches. In fact, there are around seven that are operating as public beaches. So if you want to go and swim in the sea in Lebanon, you have maximum of seven destinations if you know these destinations at all. And just to give uh, listeners an idea, like there's roughly something like 20 sandy beaches on Lebanon's coast, and then like a lot of other, like we call them beaches, but they're not sandy, right? They're yeah. like gravel or the rocks or whatever. And, and like the, the problem though is that like these areas, a lot of them just aren't accessible to the public, even though under law they they should be, right? And it, it basically restricts uh, who can access the sea and the beach to, like, like rich people, 
essentially, or or to people, people who other... can afford going to the resorts. And we're talking right. about entrance fees that range between twenty and thirty dollars. Yeah, on average, in, ex- in addition to very very expensive per person. Yeah. So exactly. if you if you got your family, then you know like. Even if you want to like drink water inside, you'll have to pay. You're not allowed to bring your own water and you have to pay something like 10,000 liras for a bottle, of, a large bottle of water. So yeah. we're talking about very restricted access. And I think that an issue that kind of uh, is at the bottom of this whole thing um, that we are not explicitly talking about is the question of how many things are being privatized outside of the typical privatization debate around public services. Because how do you mean? What I mean is, this is an issue of private versus public, essentially. And it's not only about a specific plot of land or a specific uh, service. Uh, so we hear about privatization when we're talking about education or about electricity, etc. But the, the fundamental conflict is between an economic forces that are trying to privatize any domain that exists, be it a service like education or healthcare, even though they are supposedly also rights, or be it a space like public parks or public spaces uh, or public beaches. Um, and I think this is the really the, the, the conflict that um, we are seeing in a lot of places in the world. And the issue with Eden Bay is just another example of how this little piece of public beach that is remaining for Beirut's residents is being taken over by capitalist interests. Uh, yeah, it, I mean... If you strip everything away, I I would agree with that broadly. Just that um, this is the issue of public versus private, and right now, especially in Lebanon, like the powers that be, right? It's it's in their interest to make things private. Like what is public? If something is public, then uh, they have less control over it. Uh, they're not able to divvy it up the same way uh, uh, that that they can uh, if it's private. Uh, so. For instance, if you've got three projects on the coast, you can give like one of the private projects to a, one certain faction, uh, another of the projects to a different faction, and another one to the third faction, and all of these factions can come together in cabinet and agree this is all a great thing to do and just pass it and nobody, you know, it, it, it it's good for everybody, right? Everybody in power, right? That's kind of what power sharing actually means in Lebanon as opposed to these political theories about peace and stability. But I think the most important part is that this exact thing that you're talking about, the private versus public and political corruption in Lebanon, like large-scale political corruption, intersects with the private versus public that I was talking about in as a neoliberal trend, right? So sectarianism and neoliberalism in Lebanon are converging in a very interesting way and stripping away services but also spaces that are supposed to be the commons. And all of these issues uh, sort of like come back to this point, I think, that, that we've been trying to make in this podcast that like the laws are are and the actual management, like the mechanics of it are really sort of like unclear and co-opted. And so whatever's driving this, the, the powers that be or whoever mm-hmm. uh, is able to sort of like exploit this sort of like vague uh, who's in charge of what, what's yeah. legal, what's illegal, what is licit, what is illicit along the coast. And they're, they're able to do that. Yeah. Uh, they, they benefit from this confusion, this, uh, the, the state of like, you don't really know if this is right or wrong or whatever. Right. Definitely. Yeah. I totally agree. And, and I think that's something that like, we should talk about more 
uh, not just related to public lands and coastal lands, but I think that applies to, like you said, other areas of the state infrastructure and other uh, other areas of like just like public services and stuff like that. Um, and and so I think uh, this is something that maybe we'll talk about again in a future podcast, but maybe on a different subject entirely. Right. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that's all the time we have for this week. Uh, thanks for joining us. I'm Benjamin Red. I'm Nizar Hassan. And this has been the Lebanese Politics Podcast. The Lebanese Politics Podcast is brought to you by myself, Nizar Hassan, Benjamin Red. Produced behind the scenes by Susan Wilson and the music is by Omar El-Fil.